You're listening to the Belmar Church Sermon Podcast. For more information about Belmar or to see our upcoming events, visit belmarchurch.com. We have uh, started, we started last week, a series going through the book of Galatians. And um, at this time, I, I realized, these guys are back here making hand signals. I'm like, oh, are we getting attacked? But no. Uh, be kids. Nobody dismissed the kids to go to the children's ministry. And some of you kids were freaking out because you thought you were going to have to hear the pastor speak, didn't you? Sadie, it's okay. Your mom and dad are going to have to hear the pastor speak, but you're not going to have to, okay? So our kids up through fifth grade can be dismissed. Uh, you just head right to the back. Uh, Mr. Byron and Mr. Ben are back there, and they will take you to your class, um, and uh, you can be relieved of having to hear the pastor speak. The rest of you need to stay seated. Um, I see some of you trying to sneak out. We began a series in the book of Galatians last week. And um, Galatians is this letter written by the Apostle Paul to the churches in a region known as Galatia. He's writing to churches that he founded. He had gone there. He had preached the gospel. He had uh, discipled these people and, and raised up churches in these towns of the area of Galatia. And other teachers had come in and they had begun to pervert the gospel of Jesus. They had begun to put other things on re as requirements for serving God. And so Paul very quickly in this letter jumps into the problem and in doing so, he establishes his authority as an apostle of Jesus Christ. And we talked about that last week. We wanna, it, we're going to continue that theme this morning uh, as we look at Galatians chapter 1 and we begin in verse number 11 where Paul says, Dear brothers and sisters, I want you to understand that the gospel message I preach is not based on mere human reasoning. I received my message from no human source and no one taught me. Instead, he says, I received it by direct revelation from Jesus Christ. You know what I was like when I followed the Jewish religion, how I violently persecuted God's church. I did my best to destroy it. I was far, I was far ahead of my fellow Jews in my zeal for the traditions of my ancestors. But even before I was born, God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace. Then it pleased him to reveal his son to me so that I would proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. When this happened, I didn't rush out to consult with any human being, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to consult with those who were apostles before I was. Instead, I went away into Arabia. And later I returned to the city of Damascus, then, three years later, I went to Jerusalem to get to know Peter, and I stayed with him for 15 days. The only other apostle I met at that time was James, the Lord's brother. I declare before God that what I am writing to you is not a lie. After that, after that visit, I went north into the provinces of Syria and Cilicia, and still the churches in Christ that are in Judea didn't know me personally. All they knew was that people was what people were saying. The one who used to persecute us is now preaching the very faith he tried to destroy. And they praise God because of me. 
Now that's a lot there. And a lot of things that when you read that, you're like, what is that to me? I mean, Peter, James, I've heard of these guys, but why is Paul dropping these names? And then he's like, I went to Arabia and I was in Damascus and Jerusalem and Cilicia. And you're like, I don't even know Cilicia. Is there like little Cilicia and can you get pizza there? And how is that compared to New York style, right? Those are, those are the questions that as, as I read scripture, sometimes my mind tends to drift and go into those weird places. But as we study this, this is the theme that I want us to get from this passage this morning. God is at work, and God is a surprising God. See, God works, and he, we talked about this last week. God always works according to his nature. So God always works in the way that God works. And God always works, we have his nature revealed to us in his word. God never works in a way that is contrary to the word of God. But in that, what can happen is as a follower of Jesus, we can begin to think we know how God works. But God is a surprising God. If you were to walk out this auditorium and out the very front doors of our church, you walk out onto that porch, you got the white columns, and if you were to walk out there to your right as you walked out, there's a pine tree, and in front of that is a big rock. There's a big rock, and there's a passage out of Jeremiah there, and it talks about how God works, and it talks about making stones of remembrance. And it has a date on there from 2015. And it doesn't tell you what that stone, easy for me to say, memorializes. I got caught between remembers and memorializes, and it came out, it doesn't tell you why that rock is there. It tells you that we're to remember why that rock is there. And so every year in September, I try to remind the church why that rock is there. It's there because... When I came as pastor 15 years ago, our church didn't meet in this room. We didn't meet in this building. We owned this building, but we could not afford to meet here. We were so far in debt that we had to rent to another church, and we met in other parts of our buildings. We wanted to come back and meet here. We wanted to grow. We wanted God to bless us. But really what we were trying to do is survive, and we didn't know if we would. And as the pastor, that weighed on me. And I thought of all kinds of ways we could try to make money, all kinds of ways we could try to, to get to where, you know, where we would be sustaining as a church. I mean, I, I, I thought about taking a second job. For a while I did. I thought about, you know, maybe we could sell candy bars. That worked for Little League when I was a kid, but that didn't seem like it would really, you know, we'd have to sell a couple million of those, and I wasn't sure that was going to work. And as we begin to stabilize as a church, we were meeting across the parking lot in the gym every week. I had several ideas about how we could use our facilities and get back to here. And I want to be really honest with you. Every one of those ideas did not work. To the point that as a, as a leadership we begin to talk about how we would permanently stay in the gym. 
We had plans drawn up about how we would build a wall in the gym and create a lobby and try to make it more conducive to worship. And before we could take those plans and finalize them and give them to the congregation, God said, watch this. He surprised us. He brought a a, a small Christian school into our facility and, and they called and I've said this before, but I remember that day I got a call and the lady said, hey, I heard you had a, we had another school meeting. I heard they were moving out. We're interested in moving in. And I said, uh, we, we, we don't think we're gonna take another school. But if you wanna come, I'll, I'll meet with you. I graced him with that. God was at work. And from that phone call, in three months, we were meeting in this auditorium. Because God is a surprising God. Now, that's a great story. And it's easy for you to hear that story and go, yeah, I can see where your plans weren't all that great. And I'm glad God intervened and did the miracle that he did. That's awesome for you. Here's the problem. Sometimes God surprises us. We aren't expecting it. We don't like it. It bothers us. It's not what, we, we have a plan. We're working that plan. And then God comes in and throws a curveball in it and that can be very disruptive. Paul is defending his apostleship. He's defending the gospel of grace that he preaches against the Judaizers. And in doing that, one of the things that he emphasizes in his authority is the authority of God at work. This wasn't a human thing. Now, I think uh, Scripture's clear. As, as followers of Jesus and just as people with some wisdom, we should have plans. I, I think that when you get your paycheck, you ought to have a plan about how you spend it. Now, when I first started working, I didn't have a plan. I'd get a paycheck, I'd cash it, I'd have a roll of money in my pocket, and I was like, woohoo! And whatever I wanted to do, I went and did. If I saw something I wanted to buy, I'd buy it. The problem is, I got bills, and those had to be paid before I got the next paycheck. I don't, you've probably never been there, but. So what do you do? You got to make a plan. It's important that we make plans. It's important that we have wisdom and that we try to live our lives in a way that God can bless. But we also need to understand that God is often a surprising God. Paul said, I want you to understand, verse 11, the gospel message that I preach is not based on mere human reasoning. Listen, if anybody that was true with, it was the Apostle Paul. Paul said, I received my message from no human source and no one taught it to me. You think back to Paul's conversion. Paul is uh, he, he would say a Pharisee of the Pharisees, a Jew of the Jews. He was born uh, in, in Tarsus, which is several hundred miles. If you look at a map, it, it's north and across the water from, from Jerusalem, from that area. 
But we know that Paul had studied under Gamaliel at some time as a young man. He had come to Jerusalem to study under one of the leading rabbis of the day because that's how serious he was about his faith. He grew up in an area that was not predominantly Jewish. It was Greek in its, in its speaking and in its thinking, but he came to Jerusalem because he was Jewish. He was from a devout Jewish family, and there he studied and, and was serious about his faith. So much so that when presented with the idea that Jesus Christ, this carpenter's son from Nazareth, was the Messiah that was promised, he, like the leading religious leaders of his day, rejected that idea. And if for Paul it wasn't enough, then called Saul, it wasn't enough for him just to reject that idea, but he actively persecuted those who accepted that idea. Acts chapter 8 and verse number 1 says Saul was one of the witnesses and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. That first deacon who was martyred as he proclaimed the good news of Jesus. A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem, and all the believers except the apostles were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. Some devout men came and buried Stephen with great mourning, but Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. Paul was passionate about serving God. The problem was he was deceived. And then on the way to Damascus, a bright light knocks him to the ground and a voice calls out to him and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He says, who are you? And he says, I'm Jesus. And there is no bigger gut punch than that than to think you're doing exactly what God would have you to do and God reveal to you, you're wrong. And from that moment, Saul eventually became Paul and he turned from persecuting the church to preaching Jesus, from rejecting Jesus as the Messiah to declaring him to be the only way to have a relationship with God. God works in surprising ways. Paul says this in verse 15, even before I was born, God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace. Then it pleased him to reveal his son to me so that I would proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. God chose Paul, Jeremiah chapter one and verse four says, the Lord gave me this message. I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as my prophets to the nation. Ephesians says this, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Listen, other people might turn their back on you. Other people might forget about you. But God knows you and God loves you. God, God knew you as you were formed in your mother's womb, he says. And he, he loves you and he has a plan for you. Now, you may be here this morning and, and you may say, if that's true, preacher, I have not followed God's plan. 
Man, there's been things in my life that I know I, I, I shouldn't have done. I know they weren't of God. And I'm sure God doesn't have a plan for me anymore. But that's not true. Saul was one who rejected the Messiah. He, he had the truth. He knew the Old Testament. He knew the prophecies. He should have been able to, to discern that Jesus was the Messiah. But he didn't. He was deceived. And so he was consenting to the death of Stephen and other people he threw in jail and he persecuted them. But God took that and he still implemented his plan for Paul. And God can still take the broken and the wrong things in our life and, and make his plan revealed in us. You say, well, I don't see how God could do that. I know that's because he's God and we're not. And he is a surprising God. He's a surprising God. I think about our church. I was thinking about it this week. As I was reading this passage and thinking about how God provides and, and how God has blessed our church. And Derek mentioned our business meeting next week. And I'm excited to share with you some of the things that God's done in this past year. And, and, but I think about, I know pastors who've led churches and, and those churches no longer exist. And so I think, well, why is that? Well, if I'm not careful, I start to think things like, well, probably leadership. <laughs> I'm glad you're laughing because it is a joke. It's probably great wisdom. Well, maybe just God loves us more. That's not true either. The truth is, I don't know, but he's God. And he's a surprising God. And when he moves, we need to be prepared to receive what he is doing in our life. Whether we understand it or not, whether we see all that is happening or not, we need to trust in him. Paul was knocked to the ground, but he said, listen, God had a plan. God knew me. He goes on in Galatians chapter one, in verse 16, he says that, that it pleased God to reveal his son to me so that I would proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. When this happened, I didn't rush out to consult with any human being, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to consult with those who were apostles before I was. Instead, I went away, he said, into Arabia, and later I returned to the city of Damascus. Acts reveals this time. Paul was knocked to the ground, and the Bible says that he hears this voice. He understands that he's been persecuting God himself. God sent Messiah Jesus. And then he's blinded. He goes into Damascus and God comes to a man named Ananias. And it says, so Ananias went and found Saul. God had told Ananias to go find Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you might, might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. Afterward, he ate some food and regained his strength. Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days and immediately 
He began preaching about Jesus in the synagogues, saying he is indeed the son of God. Listen, can you imagine? People knew Saul was coming to Damascus. The Jewish leaders who were having to deal with these, these people who believed in Jesus, they knew Saul was coming. They were probably looking forward to it. Finally, he can kind of help us get rid of the riffraff. The Christians, the followers of Jesus, they had heard about Saul. He was going door to door in Jerusalem. He was dragging people out of their houses and imprisoning them. And imprisoning them. Word gets around. They know Saul's coming. Then all of a sudden, there's some rumors spread. Saul shows up at the synagogue. The other Jews are there. They're like, oh, the leaders are like, finally. And then he stands up and starts declaring that Jesus is the Christ. What? That was not the message they thought he was going to bring. Because God works in surprising ways. And God is at work. Then the Bible says this. It says that Saul said, I went out to Arabia. If you look at a map, Jerusalem, uh, from Jerusalem, Damascus is to the north and to the east. And it's right on the edge of the desert. It, it, you just head east from, from Damascus and it's, it's barren. And for three years, Undoubtedly, Saul must have had, Paul must have had some contact with other folks, but he was in the desert by himself, essentially. And there God was ministering to him. God was, was teaching him. He said, I didn't, I didn't do it like other humans. I didn't immediately go seek out the other apostles. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 16 says this, but whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. For the Lord is the Spirit, and whenever the Spirit, wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord who is the Spirit makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. Listen, the the whole thing, everything that's happening this morning is foreign to someone that's just looking at it from the outside. I mean, a band plays and they're singing songs about God and, and we sing those things too and some folks are raising their hands and what is that? What, like, what's going on? And then someone stands up and starts speaking and, and people are listening and he's not that entertaining and why? Why would they hear, why would they listen to me? And not just once, but some of you come back every week. And I appreciate it, but I don't have anything worth listening to, to say. None of it makes sense unless God is in the middle of it. Because what he can do is take the foolishness of preaching and transform lives. What he can do is take even a group of college kids and in, in, he can empower our worship to him. If God's not in the middle of it, it doesn't make any sense. But God 
was at work. And Paul says, it's no human thing. The veil is removed. And then Paul says, then three years later, I went to Jerusalem to get to know Peter, and I stayed with him for 15 days. The only other apostle I met at that time was James, the Lord's brother. I declare before God that what I am writing to you is not a lie. Now, those three verses are pretty interesting. We understand them when we understand that this is a letter to this group of churches, and Paul's establishing his authority, and there were people that were coming primarily from Jerusalem. So they would come from Jerusalem and they would say, you know, we have authority from the apostles. And Paul, I know he's told you other things, but he's not really an apostle, not like these apostles. And, and they would say, you know, what you need to do is if you really want to follow Jesus, Jesus was a Jew and he's talking to primarily non-Jews. And so he said, you need, if you're a guy, you need to be circumcised. And then you need to follow the Jewish law. You need to eat certain things and not eat certain things. You need to celebrate certain days and you got to keep these rules. And that's how you please God. And if you really want to follow God, this is the way to do it. But that's not what Paul had proclaimed. Paul had proclaimed that there's nothing that we could do on our own. All we have to do is receive God's grace in our life. And God will forgive us and God will, will change us. Listen, you might be here this morning. You might be in addiction. You might be in a broken relationship. You might be doing things in your life that, that, are, that you know to be ungodly. And you say, well, I can't come to Jesus until I give those things up. That's not true. You come to Jesus, he'll empower you to give those things up. But you don't have to change anything to come to Jesus. God said, when before we were born, he knew us. When we were unlovely, he loved us. We could never move or come to him, but he came to us. That's why he sent Jesus. But then we look at these few verses and we say, okay, I understand why Paul would say that to these churches, but why is that preserved for us? Does that mean anything to us today? But here's what I would say. Think about what we know about what was going on. Paul said, I met with Peter. Who was, who was Paul? He was a Jew of the Jews. He was born in a, a Greek area, a non-Jewish area, but he was from a devout family. We know that because as soon as he was born, on the eighth day, he was circumcised. That's what was spelled out in the Jewish law. He was raised in the Jewish law. He came to Jerusalem and studied under the best teachers and rabbis. He excelled. He was, he was bright in his studies. He's going down to Jerusalem, and who's he going to meet with? Peter. Now, we think Peter, and we think St. Peter. He's got churches named after him and books in the Bible. And so he must have been an impressive guy, right? He was a fisherman. Now, that's not to say he wasn't impressive. What they said was he had been with Jesus. But he didn't have the education that Paul had. And Paul also met with James. Now, there's two Jameses, and sometimes that can be confusing in the New Testament. John, the apostle, had a brother named James. He was one of Jesus' 12. That James was one of the first to be killed for his faith. But this is, tells us in Galatians, it's James, the brother 
of Jesus. Now I have two brothers. I love them. They're great. One of them's here today. I thought I'd be nice about it. And I'm sure, I, I can't think of a single time, but just, I know human nature. It probably, at some point, might not have been easy to be my brother. I know it wasn't easy for me to have my two brothers at different times. But can you imagine Jesus being your brother? Who did it? Jesus, okay, I know that's a lie. He's never broken anything. Who did it? Right? I mean, that would be tough. And Jesus did things in his earthly ministry that were tough. At one point in the Gospels, it says that, that Jesus' mom and his brothers came to him and, and they wanted to see him. And Jesus used it as an illustration to talk about who are my brothers those who follow after God, these are my brothers, these are my sisters. And, and that's great to the people that were hearing it, but if you're actually Jesus' brother, that might, I don't know, hurt your feelings a little bit. And James, like most of Jesus' siblings, did not believe he was the son of God until after his death and his resurrection. But then James would have had a really unique perspective, wouldn't he? I mean, he knew all the stories about Jesus. I, and, and talk about a veil falling off. I'm sure when he then looked back, he was like, oh, now I see how God was at work. Now I see why he said what he said, what he did, what he did. And so he, he rose to a place of prominence as an apostle as well in the church of Jerusalem. Imagine those three guys meeting together. Paul, the persecutor, the Jew of the Jews, who then became the first missionary. Peter, a, a, a fisherman, but he had seen Jesus transfigured on the mount. He had walked on the water. He had stories to tell that other people didn't. And James, the one who had known Jesus the longest, the one who could look back and recognize how God had been at work the whole time. In Acts chapter 9 and verse 26, it says, When Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to meet with the believers, but they were afraid of him. They did not believe he had truly become a believer. Then Barnabas brought him to the apostles and told them how Saul had seen the Lord on the way to Damascus and how the Lord had spoken to Saul. He also told them that Saul had preached boldly in the name of Jesus in Damascus. So Saul stayed with the apostles and he went all around Jerusalem with them, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. He debated with some of the Greek-speaking Jews, but they tried to murder him. When the believers heard about this, they took him down to Caesarea, which was just west of Jerusalem on the coast, and they sent him away to Tarsus, his hometown, which means they put him on a boat and he sailed north. And he goes hundreds of miles from Jerusalem to Tarsus. And that's why Paul would say in Galatians 1, the churches in Judea, they didn't even know about me because I, I just wasn't there. And Jerusalem was the center of worship at that time. It was the center of, of believers in Jesus. And Paul was hundreds of miles away. 
I was thinking about those three guys. And I was thinking like, why would you make Paul the guy who goes to the Gentiles? He had all the Jewish training. Wouldn't you send him to the Jews? I would have. Send the fishermen to the Gentiles, right? Send Peter. Peter preached to some Gentiles, but that wasn't his primary ministry. Here's the thing. It wasn't done with human wisdom. It was God at work. Because God often surprises us in that way. He often does things that we don't necessarily expect him to do. I want to close this morning with these final few verses. It says, after that, I visit, after that visit, I went north into the provinces of Syria and Cilicia. And still the churches in Christ that are in Judea didn't know me personally. All they knew was what people, was, people were saying, the one who used to persecute us is now preaching the very faith he tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. Paul returns to his hometown. And the people, they don't know what to think. Paul was there when Stephen was killed. It was the beginning of persecution. That happened right in Jerusalem. And from there, persecution began to spread. And Saul was one of the main ringleaders. Then as he goes to Damascus, everything changes. And now a couple of years later, he returns just for a couple of weeks to Jerusalem and then he's hundreds of miles away in Tarsus and the people in Judea, they didn't know what to think. We hear that this guy Saul's now calling himself Paul and he once persecuted the church and now he's declaring Jesus. We don't know what to think, but thank God for that. God is at work. I love that. They didn't know what to think, but they glorified God. They weren't sure exactly what was happening and how God was at work, but they glorified God. Listen, I've faced a lot of those scenarios in my life, haven't you? You're praying about something, you're worried about something, you see some good things, some bad, you're not sure what God's gonna do, but you know he listens, you know he cares, and you know he's in control. Acts 11 says this. Meanwhile, the believers who, referring to this time, who had been scattered during the persecution after Stephen's death, traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch of Syria. They preached the word of God, but only to Jews. However, some of the believers who went to Antioch from Cyprus and Cyrene began preaching to the Gentiles about the Lord Jesus. The power of the Lord was with them, and a large number of these Gentiles believed and turned to the Lord. When the church of Jerusalem heard what had happened, they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he arrived and saw this evidence of God's blessing, he was filled with joy, and he encouraged the believers to stay true to the Lord. Think about what's happening. Persecution happens. <clears throat> and so these Jews who believed in Jesus, they ran. They started spreading out. And as they did, 
They're still Jews. They would, they, Jews would tend to gather together. They worship together. And so these Jews begin to declare Jesus to other Jews. But they get to Antioch, which coincidentally, just by happenstance, only about 40 miles or so from Tarsus, where Paul's from. It's hundreds of miles from Jerusalem, but really close to Tarsus. And there something begins to happen. Not just other Jews believe on Jesus, but Gentiles or non-Jews too. They begin to believe in Jesus. The church hears about it and they're like, we got to send somebody up there to kind of take a look around. And they, again, just happened to send Barnabas, who was instrumental in already bringing Paul, Saul to the, to the apostles, remember? He goes up there and he sees the evidence of what God is doing and he rejoices and then he does something interesting. Barnabas was a good man, verse 24, full of the Holy Spirit and strong in faith and many people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went on to Tarsus to look for Saul. When he found him and brought him back to Antioch, both of them stayed there with the church for a full year, teaching large crowds of people. It was at Antioch that the believers were first called Christians. And I don't want to ruin the rest of this story, but Barnabas and Saul, Paul, they begin to travel even farther, even into places like Galatia, preaching Jesus to Jews and Gentiles and establishing churches, Christian churches. Because God had a plan and he was at work. But think about the steps along the way. Think about when Paul was in the desert and he thought, what, what are you doing, God? Haven't we been in desert places? And then he comes to Jerusalem and that literally lasts two weeks. And then people want to kill him, so they, they take him to the coast, put him on a boat, send him a couple hundred miles away to his hometown. And then he's just there. And he thought, I, I thought God had a plan for me. I thought God was going to use me. I thought God was going to do something. But he's just sitting there. Until one day his old buddy Barnabas shows up. He says, let's go over to Antioch. And God begins to work and use Paul in an amazing way. And so when Paul wrote to the church at Galatia, and he said, listen, the gospel that I preach, it wasn't my plan. It's not a human thing. It's God at work. Sometimes we need to have enough faith just to stick it out in the desert. Sometimes we need to have enough faith to wait on God even when we're just sitting in our hometown wondering how he's going to use us next. Sometimes we need to have faith even in difficult circumstances. I imagine Saul might have wanted to stay in Jerusalem a little bit longer. He didn't want to have to run from people that wanted to kill him. But God had a plan. God is a surprising God. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your Savior. There's never been a place and a time in your life where you've asked God to forgive you of the wrong things you've done. 
That's our first step of faith. That's, that's why God sent Jesus was to die as a sacrifice in our place, to pay the price for the wrong things we've done. And he demonstrated his power by rising again from the dead to show us that if we would put our trust in him, he would forgive us and he would give us life eternal in heaven with him. Maybe you're here this morning and you're stuck in the desert. Maybe you feel like you're stuck in a waiting area. Maybe you feel like you're on the run from people that want to get you. I wish I could tell you exactly what God's doing and exactly how he's working in your life, but I can't even tell you exactly what he's doing or exactly how he's working in my life sometimes. But I know he's in control and I know he's worth trusting in. And so I want to encourage you not to be about a human plan, but to trust in the one who works in surprising ways. Let's pray this morning. God, we thank you so much for your love and for your goodness to us. Thank you for your son who died for us, who was sent that we might be forgiven, that we might live eternally with you. Lord, if there's one here this morning that does not know you as Savior, God, I pray that today would be their day of salvation. Lord, for those who just need to be encouraged that you still hear their prayers, that you are still at work, I pray that they would be reminded that you are a loving and a hearing God. Lord, maybe there's folks here this morning that they've been thrown a curveball. They've been given a detour in their life. And God, they just need to be reminded that your surprises are always for our good. Even when we can't see them. And even when we don't understand. Bless us as we go from this place this morning. Help us to share and show the good news of Jesus with those that we come into contact with this week. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.